0: Hello and welcome to EconoDay Unplugged on Wednesday, the 2nd of February 2022. This week sees our monthly global roundup, so on the podcast today we have Terry Sheehan stateside, Max Sato's in British Columbia, Brian Jackson's in Sydney and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Well, it still seems to be inflation, Russia and Covid pulling most of the strings in financial markets in general, But of course, policy responses around the world have to respect what's going on locally and national economic conditions differ markedly. So while the Fed, the Bank of Canada and for a second successive meeting, the Bank of England all look likely to be hiking interest rates soon. Other central banks, such as the Bank of Japan, European Central Bank and Reserve Bank of Australia seem to be in no hurry to follow suit. To find out why. Let's have a trip around our regional experts to see just how far out of sync the various economies are. So then, Terry, let's kick off with you. Big news last week, of course, was the FOMC meeting. Uh, Now, if I can just quickly quote from Fed Chair Jay Powell. So the economy is now much stronger. The labour market is far stronger. Inflation is running well above our 2% target, much harder than it was, referring to the 2015 uh, when it last started tightening. And these differences are likely to have important implications for the appropriate pace of policy adjustments. So just how hawkish do you think the Fed has become? And indeed, do you think uh, the economy justifies it?
1: Well, I think the hawk- hawkishness of the Fed has greatly increased. Um, We even recently heard uh, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic talking about a 50 basis point increase uh, for the possible future. Um, And the fourth quarter finished very strong with nearly 7% growth here in the U.S. So all that would seem to say that the U.S. economy can support some tightening in monetary policy. On the other hand, we've gotten some early January data for the manufacturing and service sectors. It does look like things are slowing down. And then this morning we got a report from ADP suggesting that private payrolls could drop well over 300,000 in January. So, we're going to we may see a Fed that's leaning hawkish, but they are definitely going to be paying attention to the data.
0: Well, I, see, I was going to ask you about the payroll. I haven't seen that. So a decline of 300,000 um, oh, in yeah. private payrolls in January. Yes. I know jan- January is always a, a wacko number anyway, because the seasonal factors are so big. But were yes. we to get that, do you think that would have any implications at all for well, what everyone is assuming to be a March tightening?
1: Uh, it would have some implications, but I think we it would have to look at it as a one month piece of data and wait until february and see if that kind of slowing was sustained
0: okay fair enough um let me ask about fourth quarter gdp because saw so you mentioned almost seven percent growth annualized which let's be honest yeah. is a pretty chunky number it but is. as i recall a big big chunk of that actually came out of business inventories so yeah. is that something which might hit growth later on or is that part of you know producers building inventory because they think demand is going to be very strong do you think
1: I think part of it is they're doing a lot of restocking because inventories have been very lean. The other thing that I think was going on is um, where they could invest in things in advance of higher interest rates, they were doing that, especially if it was something they'd have to finance. So um, I do think that that was probably more in reaction to being able to get some goods to stock up on and making sure that anything that was going to be costly to buy, they finance now.
0: Okay. I mean, the Omicron effect, which we've certainly seen in Europe now, and certainly asking Max and Brian about that in their, their parts of the world as well, um, is it having much of an impact? I mean, it's this 300,000 drop, supposed or possible drop in, in payrolls. Is that going to be heavily Omicron related or where is it coming from? Yeah.
1: Um, if I looked at the details of the data, it seems to be concentrated in leisure and hospitality and trade and transportation. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are two areas that typically lay off heavily after the holiday period. Um, I'm actually, so it's possible that some of it is just the end of temporary employment for the, the holiday shopping period. Um, but I think it may also be due to some severe weather incidents, things like airlines cancelling a lot of flights. So uh, people were getting laid off as a result. Um, so it's it's a bit of a mess and it is Omicron related.
0: Right. OK. And must, how are the Omicron numbers doing on your side now? Are they uh, still rising? Are they coming down yet? or
1: They're, they're starting to come down. Um, it's still pretty widespread, but there are signs that um, the, this current wave at least has peaked.
0: OK, and if I want to ask you about um, just going back to the Fed and well, I guess the balance sheet. Um, I think uh, Powell was suggesting that um, you know the Fed is willing to move sooner than they did last time and also mm-hmm. talking about the fact that, you know, the balance sheet is a lot bigger than it was when they last time they started trying to you know, move, move out of quantitative easing. So but we got any sort of sense of how they're going to address the fact that the balance sheet is far too big and what they're going to do to reduce it?
1: No, they're playing that one pretty close to the vest. Uh, Powell has been saying that they discussed it at the last two meetings. They'll be discussing it further at upcoming meetings. Um, I think we'll probably get a better indication of just what they plan after March if we get the interest rate hike then, which we expect.
0: Okay, and I guess there's no real sense on how far they actually want to, you know, to pare down the balance sheet. There's no kind of idea of what sort of percentage of GDP or an outright number or or whatever no. sort of metric you want to use.
1: No, I think their biggest thing is they want to avoid any market disruptions in the process. Yeah,
0: perfectly understandable. Okay, well that's my questions for you. Anything else you'd like to, uh, to lob into the pot?
1: No, I think the main thing right now is we're waiting for the government's employment report on Friday because that's going to be a big question mark after the private numbers this morning.
0: Okay, excellent. Thanks for that, Terry. Right, let's move across north of the border then. Max, um, where are we on Canada? What We had a decent number for November GDP. The economy seems to be what, back above its pre-COVID level in terms of uh, total output. Um, so what are the odds now on the Bank of Canada increasing interest rates at the next meeting?
2: I think it was very clear that uh, Governor Macklin, judging from his uh, post-decision, uh, presser that uh, the interest rate is going to go up he said we're on a rising path and he said we signaled very clearly to the canadians that they should expect a path toward high interest rates and uh, but then he was also saying they're keeping in mind that uh, there is um, um, this lingering negative impact of pandemic on the economy some people cannot report to work because they have to um, um, stay at home when they have when they test positive so uh, they're, they're being careful but it's 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 clear that they're going on march 2nd the next meeting no sorry not meeting but uh, policy annu- announcement so they're and, definitely do you think they're sorry, definitely the raise- expectations are here um um the bank's gonna um uh continue raising rates uh, maybe uh, two or three times uh, uh, throughout the year, at least, to to try to um, uh, raise the interest rate more neutral to the economy. Uh, but that all depends on the data, obviously.
0: Right. Okay. And what about also, as I was asking Terry about, do they have they said any much about what they plan to do in terms of, well, ultimately quantitative tightening, but at least what they're going to do with the uh, the balance sheet in the near term?
2: Um, the, according to the latest statement, um, uh, it will um, keep the, uh, the its holdings of the, the Bank of Canada bonds on its balance sheet, um, but without saying uh, until when, and um, then uh, the governing council will consider uh, what to do uh, at the time and so I think uh, the first thing we're going to see is uh, maybe 25 basis point rate hike.
0: So rates go up, certain before they start doing anything with a balance sheet. Then
2: I think uh, that's 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 what they're trying to say. Okay, great. Um, can I ask you, ask you
0: over the there's been some coverage of this uh, truckers' dispute taking place in Canada. I mean, is is it large enough to actually have any impact on economic numbers?
2: um it is surely dividing the nation and uh if you talk to um people living in ottawa the noise pollution is so much and some disgraceful um um, behavior by the demonstrators but demonstrators are there but um according to the reports uh uh, they don't represent the majority of the truckers who are actually vaccinated so it's becoming uh uh political uh, statement, and I'm not sure if this is going to disrupt the uh, logistics. Um, We have seen uh, the worst impact from uh, major flooding in BC, Mm -hmm. and that uh, um, actually uh, cut off the uh, uh, distribution from the port and onward between the, the east and west of the country, but I, I don't see any um, disturbing numbers or suggestions, anecdotal uh, evidence from the uh, protests.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, any else you'd like to add on the Canadian situation?
2: Um, I, I could say um, the rate of increase in COVID cases is decreasing, but we, I'm not sure if it's, uh, we're ready to say the worst is over. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Thanks for that, Max. Right. Okay. Well, let's start heading down towards on the southern climbs. Um, Brian, I guess we should kick off with China, really, since there's still a lot of focus on that. Um, I don't know. It still seems to be a lot of speculation about just how weak the Chinese economy is, particularly after the latest round of interest rate cuts. So kind of what's your sense of what's going on?
3: Yeah, well, I think, um, you yeah, know, we've it, this is a story that we've seen for for you know four or five months now. Just the, the numbers are uh, continuing to come, um, you know, rather disappointing uh, and showing subdued growth across most sectors of the economy. And I, I think it's the, the same sort of factors that we have been talking about for a while. Uh, you know, some of the the measures that they've taken to to curb en- energy consumption uh, in in 2021, and but also probably the the main factor is just the, the zero COVID approach that mm-hmm. authorities are are still taking um, pretty aggressively uh, whenever there are uh, outbreaks in, in parts of the country.
0: Is that, but, sorry, is, is that still nailed on? I mean, this zero COVID, is there any chance that they might actually relax that a little bit? Or is it just a done deal?
3: Well, I mean, we haven't seen any indications uh, yet. I mean, you know, we, we're always hoping that, uh, you know, the, the pandemic will uh, take a turn for, for the better and we'll be able to um, move past some of the really tight restrictions that Still are in place, but yeah, it's it's, it's not looking like uh, it's, it's happening anytime soon, and so that's just going to continue to be a bit of a, a drag on uh, you know, most parts of the economy, mm-hmm. and that's why you know contrary to sort of other parts of the world, we still see um, policymakers you know in fact moving slowly towards easier policy um, in very incremental steps, but still no sign that they're, they're thinking that they need to 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 turn towards tighter policy now of course also the other factor that we need to take into consideration for, for China is that we're sort of entering into the the blind spot that we see every year for the data because of the of the lunar new year holidays mm-hmm. so we're not going to get uh, data for January over the next uh, few weeks in February because what they do is they combine the, the data for January and February together right. and release it in in sort of mid-March So for the next uh, month or so, we're not going to have that sort of updated information about actually how the economy is tracking until we get the the combined numbers in mid-March.
0: Okay, but can I ask you, is there any sense about, well, what kind of impact, if any, the Winter Olympics might have?
3: Uh, It's not really a a big focus, uh, I think. Um, I I don't, you know, obviously it'll have a a bit of an impact in in some parts of of the country and and, in some sectors, but I don't think it'll be really enough to move the needle on on an aggregate scale. It's um, you know, it's a, a, a big sort of sporting event, but I, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on uh, you know, a lot of the numbers that are coming out of China. And it's it's definitely, I don't think, going to be enough to offset, you know, this zero COVID approach that they're taking.
0: Right. Okay. Fair enough. Right. Let's pop across to your part. Well, immediate part <laughs> of the world and then Australia. And I guess what can you say about Reserve Bank of Australia? Well, I mean, it's repeatedly insisted that any kind of hike in domestic interest rates isn't going to come until 2023. We've just had their latest statement. I mean, is that still the case? Yeah,
3: they're still pushing pretty hard against the idea that they might have to to raise rates, um, you know, sometime soon. Obviously, last month we had the the inflation numbers came come out for the December quarter, and and that showed that headline inflation. Has now been um, at or above three percent for three quarters in a row. So, the, the RBA has the the target range of two to three percent, and headline inflation's been above that target range for you know for nearly a year now. Uh, and we've also seen underlying inflation sort of move up into the middle part of that of that target range, around two and a half percent.
0: So, so what's the, state, the haven't they been saying that it's got to be sort of sustainably above it. So, yeah, what what else so, so is the thing. sustainable? <laughs>
3: That, that's the key phrase, you know, that yeah, they 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 won't increase policy rates until inflation is sustainably in that target. But this definition of what mean, is meant by sustainably, well, uh, we we had the uh, the governor of the RBA, uh, Dr. Philip Lao uh, come out yesterday, and, and he said, look, uh, we don't really have a specific definition of what that means. Uh, it's it's kind of like you know you'll know it when you see it, sort of thing. So uh, that just Happy. means that yeah, it gives them a little bit of. Uh, I guess, wiggle room to decide when you know inflation is at a level where they can start to, to hike rates. So, you know, he's basically just uh, saying that, you know, it's still not completely certain about when they will move. Um, so a lot of the, the markets are pushing this idea that, you know, they're pricing in a rate hike later this year. And he was forced to concede in, in sort of the question and answer session of his speech yesterday that um, a rate hike this year is, plausible that's the, the the phrase he used but yeah he still seems to be pushing against the idea that they'll have to be uh, pretty aggressive and, and, and move quickly he said basically look you know inflation has gone up but it's still a lot lower here in australia australia than it is in other parts of the world so we don't have to to move races as quickly or as, as aggressive as aggressively as, as other central banks
0: okay fair enough um what about the the balance sheet so they're ending, if you remember right they're ending now quantitative easing middle of this month is that right um yeah, what are they right. So do they plan been... to do with it are they going are they going to reinvest maturing bonds Do they keep it flat or are they going to actually start you know thinking about outright sales
3: uh they, they haven't um you know committed to, to anything at, at the moment uh but you know they're, they're just um you know they've been scaling back those purchases for uh, a couple of months now and, and as you say they're going to to cease uh, the purchases uh next week um and again we had the rba saying well look that doesn't actually re- you know represent a tightening of monetary policy because it's not so much about the the flow of purchases but the the stock of, of existing purchases that will provide that ongoing support so they they, they still seem to think that um you know, the economy could do with uh some policy support but you know, they just don't need to, to keep on buying assets uh, uh, that, you know, the existing stock purchases will continue to provide support.
0: Right. It's quite interesting to look at some of the different views from the different central banks as to whether it's the stock of quantitative easing, which actually yeah. determines the stance or whether or not it's the actual flow and so on. There certainly appears to be different views amongst central banks who go around the world. All right. Um, New Zealand, got to ask you about that, because I assume it's still the case, given the latest figures we've had out of New Zealand, that interest rate expectations are that they'll be going up again later on this month.
1: Yeah,
3: they've um, they've gone. So they've hiked twice and they um, yeah, you know, for the, you know the last two policy meetings, and yeah, every indication is that you know they think that there's still more to come. Whether or not they'll go every single meeting um, is you know to be determined. But yeah, that's clearly the policy bias at the moment. Um, and so yeah, we're, we're seeing a real sort of divergence across the region. You know, as I mm-hmm. said before, China is still tweaking policy to be a bit looser. Um, Australia and uh, uh, India, I think you could say, are uh, uh, sort of trying to hold the line at the moment. And then, but you've also got uh, parts of the of the region where central banks are raising rates. So uh, Korea has gone, uh, South Korea has gone three times, and, and New Zealand twice in the last few months.
0: Okay, is there any idea how high New Zealand rates might go?
3: Uh, I mean, I think they'll try and uh, you know get back to some sort of level of normality. You know, it's still historically very low at uh, 0.75%. Um, you know, before the pandemic, it was up around uh, you know one percent, one and a half percent. Um, so I think yeah, if, if they can try and get back to sort of around that one and a half percent level that was prevailing before the pandemic, that, that could be at a, a, a least a, a medium term goal just to try and get back to you know, a sort of a normal, normal level and not have the emergency
0: levels that we've, we've seen over the last couple of years. Okay, fair enough. Um, and perhaps just so as, as an aside, really, for my side, but just out of interest, there's been some sort of reports um, on Hong Kong, which we don't always talk about, um, about you know, some of the problems they're having now because of these stringent COVID-19 policies and talking about, I don't know, an exodus of foreign firms and, and sort of staff, which actually jeopardise its position as a financial hub. Is that appear to be a genuine concern you know, out there, or is it just something overseas investors are looking at and it's just kind of their view of things?
3: Well, it could be a little bit of, of both. Um, you know, obviously people are looking um, at that, and and yeah, I've seen some of those reports too. And I, you know, I I used to live in Hong Kong, and and, and still know some people in Hong Kong, and and yeah, it's not the the, the same place it was, you know, ten years ago in, yeah. in terms of being a, a you know a, a destination that's quite attractive for for expats and and, and you know in particular fields of, of industry. So it, it's it's definitely a concern. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not the number one priority for uh, for policymakers uh, at the top levels of, of the Hong Kong and Chinese government um, what the impact is on on you know expats and um, you know that some parts of the financial sector they you know they sort of obviously have other priorities in mind but it's definitely a, a you know one of the 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 factors that have contributed to Hong Kong's success for a long time um, right uh, it, it's um, it, its status as a sort of financial hub uh, in the region and this does you know cause a you know this does raise concerns of you know whether they will be able to continue
0: okay and just quickly how is hong kong economy doing now because i know in previous um, when we've been on podcast certainly last year anyway we have some fairly dire numbers coming out of hong kong um are we in kind of a, a recovery phase yet
3: I wouldn't say recovery. It's it's more just stabilisation. So you know we're no we're no longer seeing you know the big free fall in in uh, numbers that we saw you know if you look at the PMI numbers um, mm-hmm. in in the early days of the pandemic. But you know it, it's hardly um, you know you know a strong recovery as well. It's just sort of bouncing around um, pretty flat. And I think that's going to be the case until yeah we do see a relaxation of 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 the restrictions. they they're very tight in Hong Kong uh, about um, you know trying to. To get on top of this, and right. it's, it's having a real economic impact, but um, you know, n- not as bad as in, in the initial stages of the pandemic.
0: Okay, that's great. Um, anything else from you, Brian?
3: No, I mean we're, we're obviously um, like much of the world, just looking at uh, at the at the domestic cases and um, seeing if we can uh, get over the this recent surge and and then get back to normal. Obviously, um, you know, a lot of policymakers think that uh, once we do see a stabilisation in domestic cases, then uh, conditions will improve quickly. And, uh, and once that happens, you, I, th- I think you will start to see uh, a greater policy response. But that's, that's still a, a little bit in the future for, for
0: some parts of the region. OK, Oh, well, I think that's great. But just one quick question before, before we, we move on. Um, Russia, Ukraine is a clearly, obviously within Europe, it's a major focus at the moment. Um, is a is a much is it much of a focal point in your part of the world?
3: Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's uh, you know, it's on the front page uh, every day. Um, but it's obviously a, a concern, and um, it just sort of feeds into sort of the broader geopolitical concerns that you know we've had in recent years about you know. China's relations with, uh, you know, many parts of, of the region and, and, and the U.S. So I, I think you would just sort of add it into that um, category of, of a, you know, sort of general chair political yeah. risk, uh, but not it's not the, the, the number one issue here at the moment. But obviously if, if, if the situation deteriorates and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we hope obviously that it doesn't, but if it, it, if it does, then that would quickly uh, get more and more attention. At the moment, it's sort of just a, a wait and see and, and, you know, hope that, you know, things don't get too bad.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Brian Right, um, Mr. Sato again, Japan. Um, I'm never really too sure what to ask about Japan because it always seems to be sort of flat lines as far as most of the market's going to go. Um, so what can you tell me about Japan that we didn't know last time you were on?
2: Okay, so uh, people in Japan are talking about stealth movement. Uh, one is on the uh, price front. Uh, they say a lot of um, companies uh, uh, doing uh, stealth price hikes, which is what they call uh, another term is uh, uh, shrinkflation. Um, Whether um, crisp chips or uh, other snacks or tissue paper boxes, they they pack uh, a smaller amount and keeping the prices fairly the same. So consumers get less and um, they're also talking about stealth about the Bank of Japan. I mean, that has already happened. When they review their operations last March, um, they they try to make make their um, asset purchases less dominant in the market so that they don't um, uh, disturb the uh, price setting. So uh, overall, the Bank of Japan has been um, going. Um, Uh, easy on the uh, asset purchases and they have already announced that uh, they're ending uh, some of the uh, anti-COVID financing measures uh, mostly for the the, um, big companies but continuing extending by six months for uh, the measures for the smaller companies. So they're trying to uh, um, keep a good balance but if you ask me um, if the bank's going to raise rates in the future i don't think it's possible um probably the bank of japan people wishing the they're seeing four five percent inflation now um they, they want to see cpi overshoot uh, beyond the um uh two percent target right. and uh recently in the january outlook report they raised the uh, core cpi uh forecast median for the board is 1.1 from 0.9 for the next fiscal year starting in April and the same for the following year. So when uh, Kroda is ending his second uh, five-year term, we still see just about half of what they want to see in, in terms of the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. And But then um, in the US, obviously the Fed has to fight inflation and the people obviously suffering. Companies are suffering, but in Japan, um, companies may be suffering. But the, one of the disturbing um, uh, phenomena there is uh, uh, people uh, whose kids get sick and uh, can't report to work because they have to uh, um, stay at home. Um, there's a system, new uh, um, fiscal measure to help uh to give money to people who who lose uh, income but a lot of companies uh, the companies have to apply for it and then they're refusing to do so because they involves obviously a lot of paperwork and they don't want uh, uh, labor bureau people to investigate their practices so um you may have a a notion that the japanese society is uh, polite but they're not necessarily kind and that's the uh, Long term problem, corporate behavior, people may not be so um, kind to each other. So that's uh, that can be an um, underlying problem, I can see.
0: OK, can I ask you about the, the COVID numbers out there? Because I think the, the numbers have really escalated sharply over the course of the last few weeks or so. I mean, Bram was talking about, you know, that the zero COVID policy we have in the lights of China and Hong Kong. Um, what's the Japanese um, authorities attitude towards it?
2: I don't think uh, they know what to do. Um, there's a huge spike uh, they, they had never seen before, and it's still rising, the, the total number. And more people um, um, being hospitalized or the, the municipalities are trying to be preemptive. So they're cha- telling people to stay at home mm-hmm. instead of uh, going to a clinic or hospital. So it's they're being hit by the sixth wave during the pandemic and uh, booster shots uh, they just began to give them to um, teachers and uh, essential workers and that means um, while they were ahead of uh, most of Europe and North America in the fall they are now falling behind Uh, so that's uh, that means uh, even though the GDP is going to obviously rebound in October, mm-hmm. December quarter, we're going to see on February 15th. Um, but January, March is going to be uh, uh, extremely un, um, uncertain. Yeah, that's true. A lot of countries, at the
0: moment, just from what Terry was saying about her part of the world, and it's certainly true in Europe as well. Okay, anything else from your side on Japan,
2: Max? I think that's about it so far.
0: OK, lovely. Thanks a lot for that. In which case, let's uh, round things off on the European side. Um, of course, we have a, a highlight of Europe this week, uh, a couple of central bank meetings, uh, the ECB and the Bank of England. ECB then first on Thursday, well, I'd say there's a lot of different directions as far as central banks are going at the moment. But the ECB seems to be amongst that more seemingly minority group now, which doesn't want to do anything with policy. And it's very much sitting on the sidelines as it watches other central banks respond to rising inflationary risks. So we know that the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme, the key arm of their Quantitative Easing Programme, that's being in a process of being phased out at the moment and they should reaffirm on Thursday that that will indeed end uh, come the end of March time. It's unlikely to be fully utilised once we get there but nonetheless that's when it's going to be terminated. Um, and to offset that loss we'll see a temporary increase in the other part of quantitative easing, the old long-standing asset purchase programme. That'll be raised in the second quarter and the third quarter to partially offset the loss of the PEP um, before it reverts back to the current 20 billion euro a month asset purchase target for the fourth quarter and indeed beyond that. President Lagarde is still saying that uh, there'll be no rate rises or doesn't expect to see any interest rate rises in the eurozone in 2022. But quite clearly price pressures are still building and as far as financial markets are concerned now they're discounting what at least a couple of hikes as far as this year's is concerned. Adding to that speculation earlier today we had the Wednesday inflation figures which I must say really did come as some of a shock so these are for january the flash numbers and they were expected to see a decline just due to technical factors, um, essentially it was just uh, some of the dropping out of various distortions which are being caused by ger- changes to German German VAT. Um, this should have taken what perhaps about 0.5 percentage point or so. It's hard to estimate it exactly, but off the headline inflation rate. And certainly the consensus was that we would see a sharp decline in that rate uh, for January. In practice, it actually went up to 5.1% from 5.0%, only a tick, but. That's that's a new record high for the region since the euro was first introduced it was what about 0.8 percentage points above the market consensus which is a huge gap and we're now at 3.1 percentage points above the ECb's own target so it kind of suggests how we well want to slice this and there are, there are a lot of bits and pieces going through the data which make them quite hard to really interpret at the moment but on the basis of what we've got it really does look as if the if we call it the real headline rate now that we've got these German tax effects having dropped out, is still trending up. The core rate now stands at 2.3%. That at least was down from 2.6% last time, but again, really should have been lower given the impact of the changes to German VAT. So it looks as if inflationary pressure are still continuing to build, which means that when we get to the ECB meeting tomorrow, the splits, which we've seen from various minutes of these meetings in the past, are going to indicate that the uh, the governing council of a disagreement there is getting wider and wider. in terms of the economy, well, it's not doing too badly. I mean, growth, we've had the flash estimate, the preliminary flash estimate, I should say, for the fourth quarter. That showed a 0.3% quarter on quarter rise in total output. about in line with expectations. And to be fair, it looks as if that would have been a good, good deal stronger. But for well one, Omicron effects, as we've been talking about in the podcast anyway, which very much hit the service side of the economy. And also due to Germany. Germany saw a 0.7% quarterly contraction in GDP uh, and that really just shows how it's been disproportionately hard hit by the well, ongoing supply chain problems in its key manufacturing industry um, and indeed just a reflection of how bad Omicron's been in Europe, German retail sales in December which originally were expected to be a pretty good run-up for uh, the Christmas retail sector, they were down almost 5.5% on the month. Um, Now, it does seem as if the first quarter is going to start off a little bit better. But because the Omicron numbers are still at record levels, they may be starting to peak now. But if they are peaking, they really are very high at the moment. So it's going to hit first quarter growth anyway. Um, But it does look now as if we're going to see some kind of improvement coming through um, in the first quarter. That said, France and Germany have still got a fair number of restrictions in place, which is going to limit both demand and supply in uh, the two biggest countries in the eurozone. So don't expect strong first quarter growth at the eurozone. It ain't going to happen. However, the labour market is doing well. We've got the unemployment rate down now at uh, its lowest level. It's been really since the euro actually came together in the first place. So the labour market at least is quite tight put it all together and it almost certainly means there'll be nothing out of the ECB in terms of changes to policy tomorrow um, but we will see widening splits in terms of what the various members want to see and that's going to make it kind of difficult to uh, put together some kind of a consistent and coherent policy statement and it'll certainly be interesting to see what President Lagarde has to say at a press conference. Um, so as I mentioned so far her view is very much yes I know inflation is high but don't worry it's coming down. Well after these January figures she may have to, perhaps to just to change Change her tone a little bit, and that could certainly have some implications for the way eurozone bond markets work. Um, out of the UK, then, uh, Bank of England on Thursday. Well, there's nothing's really happened since the last meeting to indicate that we won't see bank rate, the benchmark interest rate, being hiked again over here in London. Um, The economy, by and large, appears to be picking up steam, notwithstanding some of the the COVID problems. Uh, November GDP, the monthly number, had up 1.1%, which is well above expectations, and also takes the economy back above its pre-crisis level which makes it that much easier for the bank to raise rates if they want to. Labour markets been surprisingly strong and inflation. Well, i will be surprised if we don't see the bank being forced to raise its inflation forecast tomorrow. We'll get a new monetary policy report from them when they include all their updated economic forecasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They were last time talking about inflation over here peaking at 6% in April. That's when we'll get a review of the price cap we have on domestic um, energy prices here. Uh, that's going to be hike significantly I expect and it seems likely that we could see an inflation rate peak around 7% now rather than the 6% the bank we're expecting. So again that's in line with another interest rate hike. So it looks as if by and large you know everything's set now for I suspect a 25 basis point on bank rate tomorrow and that will take it up to 0.5% and that's significant because that is the threshold um, at which the bank is due to stop reinvesting their maturing uh, quantitative easing bonds. Um, And in so doing, of course, that's going to allow the balance sheet to begin to shrink as of then. So um, although it's going to be a relatively slow process, there is a chunky, what, about 28 billion pounds worth of bonds due to fall, um, to run off on March the 7th. So we will see the the balance sheet shrink quite significant really as of that date thereafter it's going to be quite slow but nonetheless we can see a combination of both quantitative tightening um, and the hike in bank, in bank rate so simply that the hike in bank rate itself will not um, really reflect the amount of tightening taking place over the course of the next month or so it also seems so, like and
3: jeremy just, yep. just with just with the bank thing, i mean where yep. do you see them sort of moving policy rates in the near term sort of back to pre-pandemic levels or even further
0: i think i don't know, i think at this stage is sort of saying from your side it's, it's pretty hard to guess where these rates are going to top out because no one i don't i think really knows what the if you like the new normal or the equilibrium rate is going to be but I say we stand at well we're probably as of tomorrow stand at 0.5 i suspect they want to get up to at least two percent if not a bit higher than that if they can do but really i think you know As and when inflation does peak, I think the chances are we're going to start to, we will start to see it coming back down again. And because there's so much uncertainty about the state of the world, what's happened structurally because of all the implications and effects of the coronavirus, I think central bankers and policymakers in general really don't don't know what kind of, if you like, target level of interest rates they should have. But I think what we can say at the moment, the Bank of England and I think some other central banks, and it'll be interesting, ultimately, see what the likes of rba do but i think the bank has certainly been caught out by the speed with which inflation has accelerated they weren't looking for anything like anything like these kind of numbers we have at the moment and and it's going to go up higher almost certainly the next month or so so they are kind of you know lagging behind the curve and i think there's a good chance we'll see you know perhaps three interest rate hikes this year possibly even four um if we see the wages market start to respond. And that I think as we talked about on previous podcasts, you know, the key to where these rates do finally top out is going to come down to what's happening in the labour market. Now if you look at UK wages, the official data suggests that average earnings growth is slowing. But you've got all these problems of base effects due to changes in the composition of the basket because of the way the labour market is structured now. Um, But if you look at sort of two year changes rather than the one year changes in wages in the UK, effectively, they're trending up. and They're trending up from quite high levels. And that's true of whether you look at headline earnings growth or whether you look at regular earnings growth when you strip out bonuses and such like. So I think, you know. Long-winded, but you know, the answer to your question is: I think they've probably got a reasonable way to go. I don't think we we'll get back to the four percent type marks that you know, we all became used to long before the global financial crisis. But I think you know, current rates are really far too low, and central banks are going to be forced to do it you know, by the markets even if they don't want to do it themselves. Um, okay, what else I got from my side? That's probably most for UK I should mention. Oh, I suppose I should quickly mention politics over here. I mean, we, mentioned, we uh, talked about on the last week's podcast that uh, politics are a right messy business in the UK at the moment. There is still an awful lot of pressure on Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, to stand down. Yeah. Still, wait and see whether or not there's going to be a full leadership challenge. It, it, it does seem to be shaping up that way. But it's got to be said, I guess, if you're a prime minister under pressure and you see the pound going up. And you think there's a good chance you might actually lose your job, it doesn't reflect on your ability too well. And I suspect that really is uh, down to the fact that were Boris Johnson to leave, his replacement most likely I suspect would be Richie Sunak, who's the UK Chancellor of Exchequer, um, who by and large is pretty well respected in the UK financial market. So, if Johnson were to go, it might actually be a plus factor rather than a negative factor for the pound. Um, what shall I round off with? I round off quickly with Switzerland. The Swiss National Bank last week reactivated uh, their so-called counter cyclical capital buffer. A posh name for really just a guide to banks, which forces them to um, acquire reserves, at least keep reserves uh, due to uh, possible losses on what is currently a red hot property market. So really, they're trying to slow down the rate of growth in property prices. And I guess that's, a, that's kind of a feature we've seen around most of the world at the moment. I know, Brian, from your sort of side, notably New Zealand, I think they've already, already introduced additional um, loan value ratios or something, haven't they, last year, I think, to try and restrict the property market? way prices are going now yeah
3: and and there's also been some suggestion that they'll be needed in Australia to sort of just try and you know if the RBA is not going to move them you know some other ways of trying to curb
0: uh, the housing market here as well. Yeah, I guess so. That's, I guess, when you're looking for you know, dislocations, we all about broad economic cycles, but also at a sectoral level, what's going on in the housing market. You know, could really be you know, a major problem for the global economy if prices continue to rise. So, anyway, as I mentioned, Swiss National Bank looking to try and do something about that. It's just a reflection of what's going on there, due to the fact, of course, they've got negative interest rates pretty well across the curve. Okay, that I think then is probably it from me. Does anybody else have a link they'd like to say before we wrap it up?
1: Nothing. Uh, Jeremy, more? quick.
2: Sorry, quick question. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, who's got the quick question? So quick yeah, uh, Max here. Um, yeah. so the the tensions over Ukraine. Um, yeah. Do you, do we have to uh, watch out for any spillover effects on the markets or real economy in the region or global?
0: Uh, well, I think yes and yes. I think when you're looking at the bond markets at the moment, there's two very much competing you know, competing forces here. One, you've got quite clearly uh, you know, a, a, an overall investor concern about, look, inflation's going up. What are you going to do about it? You central banks need to start tightening and that's clearly helping to push yields up. However, yeah. You know, the, on the other hand, you've got, if we actually do see some kind of Russian incursion um, into Ukraine, that almost certainly is going to be a flight to quality and you're going to see an immediate demand for you know for sovereign bonds. So that's going to start dragging yields down. So I think you know if we go back a little bit before this Ukraine thing really started to, well, I can't say blow up because blow up the wrong word in this context, but you know, really started to escalate. Your bond yields, 10-year US debt looked to be heading towards 2% with nothing that's going to stop it. Then we had the big escalation of of tensions on the border between Russia and Ukraine. We saw yields pull back again. And I think we're still in that kind of world at the moment. But if Russia does invade Ukraine, I think you've got to assume that there will be, you know, at least initially anyway, some, uh, some lowering of, of international bond yields. And you're also going to see a flow into the safe haven currencies. So presumably it will be good for the Japanese yen. Um, it be certainly be good for the US dollar, which I suspect will probably, probably come best out of it. Then Europe will be good for the likes of a Swiss franc. And it may also be slightly beneficial for the pound as well. I mean, the issue for Europe is that for the European Union, around about 40% of their energy energy supplies come out of Russia. For the likes of the UK, off the top of my head, it's around about six percent, seven percent, something like that. So it's not such a big issue for the likes of the UK. So it may well mean that you know the likes of UK markets would outperform what's happening elsewhere in Europe. But yes, I think you know, worst case would be we're going to see what happens to ultimately energy prices. If Russia starts turning the tap off for Europe, crude oil prices, crude gas prices in Europe, they're going to go through the roof and inflation is going to go up a lot higher. So I think most definitely what's happening, Russia, Ukraine at the moment needs to be watching because it's going to have implications not just for Europe, but, you know, for the way the global economy works in general. Right. Um, On that happy note, and of course, as Brahma is saying, let's hope that nothing actually happens in that part of the world anyway. Right. So that is it for this week. Then Um, I guess putting Russia on one side, um, it still seems to be that an increasing worry for investors now is that some central banks are falling behind the curve. If that is the case, well, will notice perhaps one way of addressing it is to go down the Turkish route. Um, and last week we saw the Turkish president, Erdogan, sack his head of a national statistical institute for apparently releasing inflation data that the president thought were too high. After all, it's only a number anyway, isn't it? Right. Well, for coverage of key economic data and events that you know you can trust, be sure to keep up to date with the global economic calendar. On behalf of Terry, Max Brown and myself, thanks as always for listening. We hope you can tune in again next week. Bye for now.